0: So you're in Mark chapter 7 this morning, and we are continuing our study through the gospel of Mark, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, and we find ourselves closing out chapter 7 today. Uh, I think we all in the house this morning know what a resume is, right? Right? A resume is that short outline of uh, your, your employment and educational experiences, your qualifications and your talents and abilities uh, toward a certain job, a certain position that's open in a corporation or business. And it's a, it's a key. If you really think about it, your resume is important. It, it's really the key because as the job market is right now, any one job could have 500 resumes or more come through. And so they got to weed them out. They're not going to interview 500 people. What are they going to do? They're going to look at a resume, and that resume is either going to turn a key that opens the door for further conversation or it's going to close the door and and you keep looking, right? So resumes are important. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about the resume of Jesus, uh, particularly some personal references that he's given in this event today as we read Mark 7. But I thought it would be kind of fun to look at some things uh, that different human resource departments and people that deal with resumes and job interviews and things have posted online about funny things they've experienced with resumes or job interviews. So uh, on one cover letter... Uh, This individual was explaining what they had done in their previous work and some skill that they had, and and here's how they worded it. I single-handedly managed the successful upgrade and deployment of new environmental illumination system with zero cost overruns and zero safety incidents. Change the light bulb, bulb. exactly. (laughs) Change the light bulb. Wording is everything, right? Right? Here's another one. His work experience. See if you gather what this individual did. I was an associate at a multinational firm with revenue over two or twenty billion dollars, where I served as a liaison for the mobile distribution center, McDonald's drive-through. Twenty billion. Served as the liaison of the Mobile Distribution Center. Here's, uh, here's one that was asked about personal references. It says, well, I once received a four-and-a-half-star seller review on eBay. Here's one, previous employment. I was a night stalker at Walmart. <laughs> Can I just tell you that correct spelling on your cover letters and, and resumes is going to be very, very important. I think they meant stalk, st- stalker, stalker, stalker. Here's some various ones that listed their, their special skills. I can speak English, French, and spinach. Again, <laughs> there's this little thing on Word or on a processor now that says spell check. Uh, another one says, I have a bachelorette degree in computers. Another one said, I, uh, as a sales clerk, I like checking out customers. <laughs> and that's a big no. Special skills, I can single-handedly ruin all operations. <laughs> I think he was supposed to be running those operations. Another one, career break in 1999 was to renovate my horse. So if I'm not here for a couple of weeks, you'll know I'm, I'm renovating Jack. Special skills, consistently tanked as top sales producer of new accounts. We want that guy, don't we? I think it meant ranked. Special skills, strong work ethic, attention to detail, team player, self-motivated, attention to detail. (laughs) Uh, Here was was another cover letter. Please don't misconstrue my previous 14 jobs as job hopping. I actually never quit a job. (laughs) And then here's the last one. It's cover letter. We all want this person. I am seeking a party time position in your firm. Yeah, enjoy your work, right? If you enjoy it, it's not work. There you go. All right, so a little bit of fun with that this morning, but we're going we're gonna to see in these events at, at the close of Mark 7 uh, a personal reference that's given by a group of people that have encountered Jesus. And the unique thing is these are Gentiles. They're not super familiar with Jesus. They have, they have heard, and now he comes to their area of Tyre and Sidon, and they experience him personally now, but they, they give him a great... A great reference that that I want you to see if you catch it when we, when we get to it as we read through it. But he receives this personal recommendation, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 31 this morning. Mark 7, verse 31, and it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre, that's where he had been, and he went through Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. Now he is made, and I don't have a map up there for you this morning, but if I, I did, you would see this is a long trip, and it's a roundabout kind of like why would you take that way? This is not the way that Siri or your Google Map app would send you to get where you need to go. But he arrives in the region of the Decapolis. That means the ten cities. Verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said, Epaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them all to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. Now, did you catch their their reference for Jesus? If anybody called the people of Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis to get a reference on this man, Jesus, this was it. He has done all things well. Enough said. Now, that word well right there means to be done good, complete. It's a value and it's done better. So the reference for Jesus from this group of people was he's he's done it well. He's done it good. He's done a valuable thing for people in our community. He has done it better than anybody else. And he's done it fully, completely and wholly. So out of this encounter with this deaf and mute man, I want us to look at three things you can count on Jesus doing well. Well, in your life. It's a continuation of last week where we talked about the, uh, uh, the woman who persisted that uh, Jesus heal her daughter who was demon-possessed. And, and we discovered, remember, that, that, that what Jesus, what He does, what, 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 what we can trust on is that He can do it, He does do it, He has done it, and that He will do it. And we're, we're, we're still building on that understanding this morning, that when Jesus can, has done, and will, He, he does it right. He does it well. So let me give you three truths this morning out of this that I think should build and encourage our faith in preparing us to to pray together this morning at the altar. The first truth is this. What Jesus does for you will always be calculated. It will always be calculated. I don't believe that there's randomness in what Jesus does in our lives. Jesus has too much to do and preparing for his return and and ushering in the 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 eternal place of God and God's rulership over the earth complete. So he doesn't do things randomly, he he always has a plan. And what he does, he does on purpose. We don't always understand what his purpose is. That confuses us, causes us anxiety. But Jesus does nothing random. Everything is calculated. There's two things right here that I observe from this man's encounter with Jesus. And the first one is that Jesus took him away privately. He, perhaps, to keep him from humiliation, uh, we would have to imagine in the cruelty of culture, everybody's been to middle school at some point in our lives, right? And and, and it's like one degree outside of the gates of hell. And if you survive it, then life's going to be good. And, and so we have to know that his inability to hear and his inability to speak, this impediment, had to have brought on some ridicule, had to have brought on some shame to him. Um, so Jesus takes him away privately. And perhaps it is to move him away from everybody else so they will get away from ridicule and humiliation. But, but maybe, too, it is, it is well, it, I know it's for this certain, and that is a very personal encounter with this man. Remember, we have read since Mark chapter 6 all the way through 6 and 7 the great crowds that have been following Jesus. Everywhere he goes, even when he tries to go in Mark 6 to a little R&R and a bed and breakfast with the disciples to get some rest, they end up with this huge crowd of people and he has to end up feeding them. So everywhere he goes there's crowds. So there were people here. Mark just jumps immediately, though, to this man. And I believe Jesus takes him aside for a personal encounter. Jesus Jesus is going to do something very calculated in this man's life. It's not random that this man has come to him. It's not random that Jesus encounters him this morning. He's going to give him some personal ministry. But then the second thing I observe is this calculation of Jesus about what this man is experiencing and needs is interesting. In... uh, in that he, he spits and then touches the man's tongue. Now, some translations, because it told us there uh, you know, that, he, that he spit and immediately spitting he touched the man's tongue. Some translations, the, the English Standard Version that I just read to you from does not say this specific. But some translations say that the spitting was spitting on his hand and then touching the man's tongue. And we just know, okay, you're all thinking it. You just don't want to say it. You just don't want to say, ugh. I mean, it's Jesus, but let's just be real. It's calculated. We're going to come back to that in a moment. I'll explain that a, a little bit better in just a moment. But, but you see, Jesus does something very unique there. Now, I will say this, that in the Gospels, there are two other occasions where Jesus spits and then manifests a healing. One is he spits into the dirt, makes mud, and puts the mud on a blind man's eyes, uh, but, so, but, but that's only three out of all the miracles Jesus did. And John the Apostle tells us at the end of his book that Jesus did things that the books of the earth could not contain, but we only know of three times that he spit in order to provide a miracle. So it's very unique. I say that to say what Jesus is doing in this man's life in this moment is calculated. He's not just doing it for the fun of it. He's not just doing it to impress a crowd. In fact, what did he do? He took the man apart from the crowd in order to minister to him and to his need. It's not the normal mode for Jesus in this moment. Sometimes Jesus would speak face-to-face with individuals and they would be healed, or there would be a miracle that transpired. He would do it from a distance from time to time. Remember the, the, uh, the woman last week. Her daughter was demon possessed. And she pled with Jesus to, to, to heal her daughter. And finally he says, go. Your daughter is healed. Now she was not there when the daughter was healed. She was over here. The daughter was at home in bed. Demon possessed. But by the time she got home, the woman was healed. So sometimes he spoke face to face. Sometimes he laid hands and touched people. Sometimes he spoke and they were healed in a whole other area of the community. Sometimes he spit and he made mud and rubbed it in someone's eyes. Sometimes he used others. Remember, he commissioned the 12 and then later the 72 disciples to go out. And what were they told to do? You have authority, he says, to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and, and, and cast out demons. So some of his miracles were done through other people. So what I want you to see is Jesus doesn't operate by a policy manual. He's not accountable to human resources. He's accountable to doing what the Father has given him to do. And so when he works in your life to bring you to salvation or to bring you into a healing or to bring a miracle or some manifestation into your life, it's always been calculated. It wasn't random. When you have true faith in God, there are no such things as random circumstances. No, when you committed your life to Jesus and you surrendered and said, you are Lord of my life, in that moment what you were saying is, you lead me, you guide me, and whatever takes place, I am going to trust you in the middle of that. Good or bad, top of the mountain or in the lowest part of the valley? Because he's Lord. That means we trust him. So we trust the way he does the things he's going to do. Psalm 40 verse 17 helps us understand what Jesus knows about us and our need. David the psalmist said, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. That word thought. God takes thought of me. The word thought means he devises and determines what's right for me. So his timing and his will and his way are all that matters. Matthew 6, 8. Jesus himself says, the Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Now he's encouraging us to pray and to pursue seeking God, knocking and asking But he says, you know, God knows before you you even ask. The Lord knows what your circumstance is. He knows what his ultimate plan and purpose for your life is. And he knows how to get you from where you are to there. And so everything in between is going to be calculated. The word of God tells us in Proverbs that the steps of a righteous person are ordered of God. We're also told in Proverbs that a man will have his plans, a man will have his goals and his desires and ambitions but surrendered to God, God's going to order his steps. And in that we must trust. So Jesus can't be placed in a box. He does everything well so we're going to have to trust him. That even though it doesn't look well to us, we have submitted to his lordship and he does not fail. He does everything as they said well. As you pray for a miracle, you have an idea of what it looks like and what it needs to be. But again, I remind you as Isaiah, the prophet, told us through the voice of God that my ways are not your ways, God says, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. So we envision this healing. We envision this this need being met. We envision this Salvation of our children and 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 we have a way. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do certain things. It's gonna give them the opportunity to be saved. Which, if God tells us go talk to them or do this or do that, we do that because that becomes a part of the process. But ultimately what it is is God's God's calculated plan of moving them. Yeah, you know, when I've told you before when I was living out in California and away from the Lord, mom would send me articles of these rock musicians that were getting saved and and send me Bibles that were highlighted with key scriptures in them and stuff like that. And those were all important. They didn't change me in the moments, but they were a part of God's calculated plan. But there were some other things God had to do that she was trying to spare me from. She was praying for me and my protection. And there were things God finally, I think, realized, no, Mark's got to go through this because at the end of that, he's going to see me. And so it doesn't always look like we think it'll look. As you pray for a miracle, you have an idea of what you're looking for. Sometimes we miss the miracle that he has because we were looking for the wrong thing. And we, we quickly dismiss that, that God was doing something. Sometimes we miss the miracle or we, 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 we miss the fact that part of the miracle is the growth that we're experiencing. Because ultimately, you know what his purpose is. To make us more like Jesus. Not to give us everything we want in life. Well, he does give us the desires of our heart. But what he does is he transforms our heart to make our heart a desire for him. And then we have his desires. So really, ultimately, what his goal is, is always to change us to be more like him. So maybe the miracle is the growth I'm experiencing. That if I wasn't going through this situation... Jesus wouldn't be nearly as important to me as he's become these last weeks or months. Maybe the miracle is the acute awareness of his love and his presence in this season of my life. I mean, let's be real when 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 things go south to us, when we when we think they've gone south, it it, it it's easy to 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 forget about the fact that we're loved. The fact that nothing separates us from his love. It doesn't even separate us from his presence. So maybe the miracle is I become more acutely aware of his incredible love and presence. Maybe maybe the miracle is the overwhelming grace and peace that I have in the middle of it as he's doing what he's going to do. I, uh, I have permission to share this. So uh, earlier this week, I went and spent a little time with our friend, Jeff Jones. Most of you if you're newer to church, you may not know Jeff and Jennifer and his family, but uh, went and spent a little time with Jeff. Jeff is uh, confined to uh, a wheelchair with uh, ALS, I believe Is at the right initials, I get initials mixed up sometimes, but ALS, and uh, communicates uh, through a, an apparatus similar to an iPad that he can communicate to us. I encourage you, give a call, make sure he's uh, available, and, and go pay him a visit, um, I left the conversation and the, the time with Jeff on Tuesday so encouraged, I told him, I said, Jeff, I think I'm going to invite everybody in the church to line up at your front door and just walk through and have a brief conversation with you because I'm leaving with more faith in my spirit right now than when I walked in here. So I asked Jeff if I could share this. Jeff and I had a lot of conversation, but ultimately my takeaway was, and I confirmed it with him as I was there with him that afternoon is that, Jeff, it sounds like you just have a real peace and a real sense of contentment in your spirit that God is with you, and it's okay. And he said, that's it. I asked him questions like, what, what do you fear? What do you Everything was, God is good. God is good. You want some faith? Go spend a little time this week in conversation with Jeff. He'll encourage your heart. He'll encourage your faith. And so maybe your miracle is that you're not anxious, that you're able to say, it is well with my soul. What a miracle that is in this crazy world we live in. Now, some would say, oh, no, that's just mind over matter. No, not not when Jesus is the Lord of your life. When Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, it is not mind over matter. It is not happenstance. It is not by accident. It is calculated that Jesus has chosen in this moment to do what the Apostle Paul came to realize when he said, I prayed three times this thorn of flesh would be removed, but I came to the realization God's grace is sufficient. What is His grace? It's His presence. It's His voice. It's His peace. It's his, his grace is anything He reveals to you that gives you the hope, that gives you the peace and the strength to continue moving forward with Him until He may do the next thing that He wants in your life. Paul would also say, you know, I've learned to be content in all things. That, content doesn't mean you know, just settling for less than, than the best. What contentment in the scriptures means in that word, contentment means that we're at peace. We're at peace. We're not fighting in our soul. Here's what I want, but this seems to be what God is doing. Biblical, scriptural contentment is being fulfilled and at peace with where God has you right now. And knowing that whatever he has, and that's what Jeff said, I asked Jeff two questions. How can I pray for you? How can we as a church pray uh, for you and how can we be praying with you? His prayer for him, he simply said this, Pastor, pray God's will be done. How can we pray with you? He says, pray that my family remains strong. And that's our prayers with Jeff. Jeff. I know Jeff's watching this morning. Thank you, Jeff, for letting me share the story. Your faith encourages all of us this morning. So Jesus knew what this man needed, and I present to you, Jesus knows exactly what you need. And what he's going to do is calculate it. In your natural mind, it may not make sense, but in his plan, it's calculated, and he's moving forward. Second truth, then, out of this encounter with this man this morning is this. What Jesus does for you, it's not only calculated, but it will always be correct. It will always be correct. It will always be the right thing. You know, it seems odd to us and even gross that Jesus would would spit and then touch the man's tongue. Let Let me help us see if we get a little understanding here for a moment. In the culture, and for centuries it had been, and maybe still today in some cultures, there's a superstition that uh, saliva can be a healing component. That a person's saliva, that a healthy person passing forth their saliva could transmit healing in some way. That's a superstition. Now I'm going to tell you this. I find, any place, I find no place in Scripture that Jesus has any superstition about it. I find zero. Zero. He's, got no, he's not superstitious. Perhaps what he's doing is communicating to a man who can't hear his words. And so he touches the man's ears to let him know what he's doing. Expect this. When he touches his ears, the man knows, okay, he's doing something for my hearing. When he touches the man's tongue and maybe, maybe in this man's uh, deaf state, would recognize the spit, you know, the the act of spitting as this healing thing. Jesus is not associating any any power to the saliva because he says it's his word that brings the healing, right? It wasn't it wasn't his, his his saliva, it was the words be opened. Now that man can't hear those words yet. So perhaps Jesus is communicating, here's what I'm doing. And he's communicating to him, I'm healing your ears and your tongue. Be opened. Now he's not speaking to the man to be open. He's speaking to the condition, to the spirit behind the condition. Be opened. So, I say that to say wow. <laughs> it just seems odd. But we find nowhere that this man then looks and says, oh wait a minute. And he's talking clearly and hearing plainly. Uh, That was a little weird. I'd like a second opinion. I'd like to seek further advice. I'd like to find another physician to see what their mode might be. No, he doesn't need it. Why? Because it's happened. Jesus touched his ears. He hears. Jesus touched his tongue. He speaks clearly and plainly. Seems odd, but it's exactly what the man needed. And if Jesus chose to do it in an unorthodox way, who is the man to say, wait, no. Remember the king in the Old Testament, and right off I can't remember his name, but he developed leprosy, and the prophet, it was either Elijah or Elisha, I apologize, I didn't go back and look that up ahead of time, but I know it was one of the two e disciples, uh, uh, prophets, Elijah or Elisha, went to him and said, okay, God's going God's to heal you of your leprosy, but you got to go down to the river and you got to dunk seven times in the river. The river's dirty, it's muddy, and the king is uh, offended. And his servant, he's griping to his servant saying, well, he could have just healed me, he could have just spoken the word, he could have put his hand on my, or whatever, and he's griping about it, and the servant says, but if he told you to go do something great, wouldn't you have gone to do that because he said do it? So then the common sense would then speak to the king, and the king would realize, well, I guess I would have, so, so maybe when he says this. It didn't make sense to go dunk seven times in the river. Who's ever heard of that? What medical journal published that article? Things will not always make sense the way Jesus wants to do it, but but what we have this assurance in the middle of it when it doesn't make sense to us is that Jesus is doing it calculated and he's going to do it correctly. What he has always done was correct. What he's going to do is correct. What he is presently doing is always correct. And for whatever reason, Jesus did it and the man is healed. Romans 8, 28. We said it just a moment ago, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. All things do work to the good. That's what you have to rely on. That's what you have to trust in in the days, the weeks, the months, or the years, or perhaps even the decades that go in this particular season, is you trust that Jesus is calculated, and He is doing it correctly and you're going to wake up every morning assured that He's doing it He is doing it and I can trust Him fully to do it the right time, the right way, with the right goal in mind and what is that goal? Always, always the goal is to bring glory to the Father to bring glory to the Father. At the moment your miracle will make the greatest testimony and the greatest proclamation of the goodness of your Father in heaven is when you can expect. Romans 11.36 For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Can you say amen to that? So we're going to trust Jesus in every moment that what he's doing is on purpose, it's calculated, it's correct, and then thirdly, what Jesus does for you will be completed. It will be completed. There will never be a reference given to Jesus that he dropped the ball. You talk to anybody who's found Jesus to be calculated and, and, and working in their lives, you will never find anybody who fully understands The presence of Jesus in their situation, it says he dropped the ball. If you've ever said it yourself, Jesus dropped the ball and you walked away, what you didn't capture was seeing what Jesus was doing that that you didn't understand because it didn't look right to you or it didn't, didn't look like the way you thought it would or should. And so we were in a box in that moment. We've boxed Jesus in and what he was doing was outside the box. And so then we say, well, he dropped the ball. No, he he didn't drop the ball. If we'd have have stayed in the game, if we'd have stayed in the game, we'd have seen him moving us, moving others, moving situations around us to the moment and the time that there would be the greatest glory given to your Father in heaven. This man had really two complete miracles that took place. His ears were completely opened. And they tell us, separate from that, his tongue was loosed and he spoke. Now you and I know that there are doctors who specialize in ear, nose, and throat. So we know there's this connection. In Texas, we know it well. It's spring. And we understand fully allergy season. Ear, nose, and what? Throat. So we know there's this connection, but it specifically tells us It doesn't say the man was healed, that would be enough, everything's whole, but it specifically tells us that there were two miracles, ears open, tongue loosed. So he gets two miracles, and they're both completed. Now in this man's instance, they were instantaneous. Immediately, the man spoke and was able to hear. There was a time, another time when Jesus spit, and he spit in the dirt, and he made mud, and he put it on the blind man's eyes. But if you recall that instance, uh, Jesus says, what do you see? And the man, after he did that, he says, what do you see? And the man said, well, I see people walking around like trees They look like trees. And Jesus, well, okay, that's, that's not what we want. So he touches the man's eyes again. He says, now what do you see? And he says, I see people. I see clearly. I say, I want to share that moment with you because it it involves spit and we're just going to be middle school here all morning, I guess. But not only does it involve that, but it was a progression. It was, it was, it, it, it didn't have the instantaneous nature to it that this one today in Mark 7 had with it. Again, Jesus is calculated in all that he does. Whether it's instantaneous or progressive, you can trust that your miracle is going to be completed. What he's doing is going to be completed. We tend to want it now and, 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 and the way we think that it should be. And we miss so much when we, when we can find Jesus that way. But whether he does it this morning or whether he begins the process, furthers the process as we pray this morning, or begins the process through your faith this morning. He will do it, and He will do it well. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Let's read this together out loud. He says, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work. Now let's Let's be real. As true students of God's Word, let's keep context. Paul is talking about the completion of redemption. What does he say? At the day of Jesus Christ. So he's speaking forward. He's speaking ahead. A time and a moment ahead. He's speaking of when we will be in the presence of Jesus and the Father and our complete our redemption will be absolutely completed. And this rest that we have been told we have in Christ will be complete and whole and real resting from our works resting from the sin of this world so that's the context Paul is talking about it's an assurance that what we experience now will be completed in a coming day your miracle even if today when we pray Jesus provides your complete miracle it's still not complete until I mean, let's be real. Lazarus, Lazarus was raised from the dead. That was a complete miracle. But I find nowhere in scripture or history that Lazarus continued to live forever. But today, Lazarus's miracle is complete. Some would say, well, you know, when you say, because I'll say this, you know, I've said this before, you've heard me if you've been to any funerals that I've done, and you're a follower of Christ, a believer in the Lord, and, you know, uh, I'll say, you know, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so uh, knew the presence of Jesus, knew the truth of Jesus, knew the word of Jesus, knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, and so I am convinced today that they are now walking in complete healing. And there's great peace in that but that's just not makeup. That's not a cop-out. Some would say, some cynics would say, well, that's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. You're just hoping that they're now in a better place and that they're healed and that they're made. It's not a cop-out at all. When you're a follower of Christ, there is no cop-out. <laughs> okay, there's, just, there's no circumstance. There's no happenstance. Jesus said, you will be with me forever. And the very next to the last chapter of the book tells us that there, in that place, in eternity, there is no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more disease, no more grieving. We are complete. That's what Paul in Philippians 1 was talking about. And so I say this, that your miracle here may look complete. You got what you were believing God would do but it's still not even complete yet. But to say that it's a cop-out that, well, they're healthy, they're whole. Now, now, again, maybe the miracle was the peace, the grace, what they saw, what they sensed, what God spoke to them, things they learned and heard. You know, Jeff is Jeff is is, is able with, with those who come and care for him out, outside some, some home nursing and all that, shared with me how he's able to minister to to some of those that come and, and pray with them when they're there just caring for him and, and watching TV with him just to make sure he's, got some, someone with him while Jennifer uh, may need to be out of the house for, for some errands or whatever, and, 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 and shared with me how he gets this opportunity. Um, so whatever it is, the, the healing, the ministry, you know, whatever Jesus is ministering to you, it is going to be complete. Even when it's done here, it'll look complete to you, but, but he's still, he's still going to be fully completed. You have to grasp that, Church because that's why you have confessed your faith in Christ. Paul said if our hope is only in this life man, we're, we leave a lot to be desired. What he was saying is our hope is that there is a day coming and that's, that's why you've made it through many things you've made it through. The presence of Jesus with you but the reason you let Jesus stay close to you is because you know he's taken you. He's taken you somewhere. And in that place, it's all going to be completed and carried out. It's a miracle, and Jesus always does it right. Maybe you've received part of what you've been praying for. You keep believing. You keep praying. We saw it last week because he does it. He has done it. He will do it, and he can do it. so committed to fully fulfilling his plans and purpose for you that Jesus in his very last breath in his human body on that cross would declare it is finished it is finished let faith jump up inside your spirit this morning in realizing your healing is finished your miracle is finished Now it's a matter of him walking it out and walking you into it. So Jesus' resume in conclusion might read like this. He's a very calculated man in all that he does. He does everything correctly every time. He completes every task on time and he does it correctly the way it needs to be done. He is very personal and approachable. In fact, dare we say as a reference for this man this morning, he is Christ. That word Christ means he is the anointed one. What did he tell us in Luke 4 when he read from the prophet Isaiah? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news, bind up the brokenhearted, set captives free, open blind eyes. He's anointed to do that. What we are in position of is allowing Him to do it His way, trust that He's doing it correctly, and know that it will be completed. That should be faith that arises in us this morning to pray with faith that He he completes it and that we're able to comprehend where He's at. So this morning, as the worship team in just a moment will we'll come up, and, and they're going to lead us in, a, in our uh, closing worship song, but we're going we're gonna to do as we did last week, and we're going to open the altar, and uh, we're going we're gonna to anoint everybody. We'll make sure first that everybody gets anointed with oil. You say, Pastor, why that? Is it, is it like spit? No. It's olive oil. It's a symbol of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. James would tell us that in James 5, he says, is any one of you sick? he should call the elders of the church and they are to anoint you with oil and pray over you. And so it's, it, the oil is one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. And so we're going to do what James said. We're just going to anoint you with oil. And then so there's, we're, we're kind of limited on our, our prayer team that's with us here this morning. Uh, Meemaw, I'd ask if you'd be available to, to help us out this morning. Daytree will be able to, to come down and help us out too. And then we'll just, we're just going to pray. And you come for prayer, you believe. Let faith, I trust, I've prayed this week that this word would bring faith that would arise up in you for this moment to continue praying and believing and trusting. If you don't come for prayer, just worship. Don't be worried about what's happening down here. Your worship. Your worship stirs the, the atmosphere. Your worship creates a, uh, an atmosphere, if you will. What, is, what does the Word of God tell us? That, that God inhabits praises. And what we want is, is God. What we want is God who knows what we need, right? We don't need to know what the pastor knows. We don't need to know what anybody else knows. We, we need to know what God knows bring ourselves into alignment so you worship others are going to be praying but i encourage you this morning that you come and that you pray hebrews 13 verse 8 says jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and when he did everything well while he was here he still does everything well today